Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge family. All right, Gene and Michelle, thank you for staying this morning. Uh, It is just great to see you. Uh, Happy Independence Day. Yeah. Um, I am amazed as holidays come and go and transition and days and stuff. I'm amazed how often Independence Day falls on July 4th. It's kind of amazing. Um, Yeah, some of you got that. Some will get it on the way home. Others will get it as you're grilling later this weekend sometime. But uh, a special greeting to those that are online. I know we have a number of folks uh, in the mountains, at the beach, and probably everywhere in between. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We're glad that you're with us. Uh, Give us a little handshake online if you would. That would really be wonderful just to know that you're there with us and let us know how we can love and minister to you uh, even over the holiday weekend. If you have a Bible, I trust you do. I'm going to ask you to begin to turn to the book of Galatians with me as we continue our Timeless Truth series. This weekend is all about freedom, and so I thought it would be great for us to talk about freedom, about the truth of freedom. Um, The definition of freedom, if you simply look it up in the dictionary, goes something like this. It is the state of being free makes sense, right? Freedom, the state of being free, or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical restraint. Or, secondly, exemption from external control, interference, or regulation. When we talk about freedom, um, we think about a lot of different things. And so, if I were to say to you this morning, it is great to be free, isn't it? Yeah, a few amens, a couple yeah, a couple like not really sure where he's going with this, and I'm not sure if I should answer. I got a lot of that feeling. Uh, When I ask you that question, though, your mind is probably going one of two directions, because you're either going toward a political national perspective, because that's what the holiday is all about, right? Or you begin to think in a spiritual perspective. What does it mean to be spiritually free? And so this morning, I really want to kind of press into that a little bit. Because 254, no, 245, if my math is right, I've never never been great with math, but about 245 years ago, uh, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence declared that they were establishing a new nation, independent. Uh, Scott Mason would call it treason day. Um, But we, we were setting up a new nation, independent. Uh, from anybody. That's why we celebrate Independence Day. Now, uh, let me just tell you right up front, this is not going to be a political flag-waving message, Uh, but I will say I love my nation. Uh, I praise God so often that that I have the privilege of being born in a free nation, a nation that I believe was founded on Judeo-Christian values, uh, a nation that I believe has incredible possibility for great kingdom advancement around the world. And yet we sometimes run from that. And, and we run from that because we run back to bondage and slavery and sin. And, and so as much as I love my nation, <clears throat> I also realize that the ministry of Jesus Christ is not a political agenda. It is something far, far greater. 
Uh, and although we are commanded and instructed in Scripture to be good, and I would say even model citizens, uh, I do realize that my greatest impact and my greatest allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Uh, when you and I place our trust in Jesus, although we are citizens here uh, in America or wherever you are a citizen, we are also citizens of a new kingdom and a new king, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Drake did a great job pointing us to that kingdom and that king last week. And, and when we realize that we are part of a, a new kingdom and we have allegiance to a new king, we realize that our freedom looks probably a little bit different than we think of in the political realm. And so I want to look together at the, the book of Galatians. And, and over the last several weeks as I've been reading through this, uh, Galatians 5 is really about freedom, but we're landing in chapter 6. And to really understand 6, we have to understand the rest of the letter. So I'm going to back up just a little bit into Galatians 5 and sort of set up our context just a little bit. So if you would, Galatians chapter 5 let me just look at that for a moment. Beginning in verse 1, it simply says this, as Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Seems like just sort of a redundant, clear statement, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's a repetitive process in the life of the church back then and now. We're free, but we fall back into the slavery of sin. We're free, but we fall back into the slavery of sin. The context here in which Paul is writing is legalism. The religious leaders are throwing more rules and more rules and more rules down, and so they end up in slavery to the rules and the bondage of sin, trying to follow all the rules and not realizing the freedom that they have in Christ. The other extreme is that we find ourselves so free in Christ, we feel we're free to do whatever we want and run over everybody else because, hey, we're under grace and I'm free. So that's kind of where Paul is writing. So jumping down into verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Look down in verse 16, but I say, and if you've not memorized Galatians 5, 16, you need to write this one down, and this needs to be one of your go-to Scripture memories. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. They keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love that phrase, don't you? If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul is telling us that true freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. That's the flesh. Uh, my flesh causes me to want to do a lot of things. That's not freedom. Freedom is not doing whatever I want to do. Freedom in Jesus Christ is choosing to do the things that I know I ought to do that bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ in his kingdom. That's freedom. And that's what Paul is, is writing about. Uh, what does that look like? He's telling us that, that this freedom is doing the things we know we ought to do as we keep in step with the Spirit. 
And when I think about this phrase, I begin to think about the joys, the struggles, and the journey of the Christian life. Anybody else have those up and down moments in your Christian life? That's, that's the journey. It's the struggle. How do I keep in step with the Spirit? Uh, he's mentioned it. He said, hey, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. He's speaking of this warfare. He, he also talks about it in Romans chapter 7. There's this clash between my flesh, my sin nature, and the Holy Spirit of God, which has taken up residence in me. And, and they're at war with one another. How do I keep in step with the Spirit and do the things I know I ought to do and not the things that I don't want to do in my flesh, which destroys my life and it destroys my testimony to others? So the Word of God is filled with all kinds of instruction. And the more we learn, the more we grow, the more we learn to apply God's truth to our life, the more we realize we don't know. Are you there? The more I learn, the more I try to apply God's Word, the more I realize I have still to grow. So this is never a point that we arrive. We, we never get to that place of going, I've arrived. I've arrived spiritually. I'm done. I am complete. Uh, no, thanks for laughing with me because this is, this is my life, right? It's like every day is a new adventure of my own failure and my own choice to surrender myself to Jesus Christ. So now look at Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He says, brothers. So he's speaking to those who claim a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, if anyone is caught in any trans tra transgression, this is a sin, you who are spiritual, that word is really mature in Christ, walking faithfully with Christ. Doesn't mean perfect. It simply means that you're walking in spiritual maturity, that you should restore him as in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, right? So he's saying even as mature believers, spiritual believers, we're still tempted. We still have this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Wow. So in the context of our freedom in Christ, we are not free to do what we want to do. We're free to do what we ought to do. We are not independent. We are completely dependent on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's the difference in our spiritual freedom. Uh, my spiritual freedom, I'm not completely independent to live to myself and for myself. I am dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit in me to live in dependency with other believers to grow to spiritual maturity and replication in Christ. So when I look at this in Galatians chapter 6, I want to share three simple things with you this morning that I trust are both encouraging and challenging to you. That as Christ has set us free so that we may enjoy our freedom by doing these three things that I see in the text. This is not an exhaustive list of everything the Bible teaches, but it's three things that I see in these simple five verses. And the first is this, we are free to enjoy our freedom by being responsive to others. Christ has set me free so that I may enjoy my freedom by being responsive to others. Look what he says in, in verse 2. He says, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
Now, while Paul told the Galatians they were free from keeping the rituals of the Mosaic law and all the other laws, he reminded them that they did have another responsibility. They were to bear with their brothers and sisters in Christ, with their neighbors, with their fellow human beings in in their errors and their weaknesses, their sorrows and their sufferings. See, I'm not free to just go live off by myself. I am free to step into the lives of others and be responsive to their needs in grace and truth. Jesus speaking in John chapter 13, as he's teaching, he simply said this. He said, a new command I give to you. Now, when he says new, this is not brand new. It's like laundry detergent new, right? It's new and improved. I mean, how many, how many new tides can come out? It's like, no, it's, it's the same tide. It's been around for years, but now it's a new and improved formula. And so the idea of loving your neighbor and loving others is not a brand new concept, but Jesus is saying it's taken on a brand new form in the person of Jesus Christ and in the indwelling work of the coming Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to do something radically different than anything you're used to. So this is new and improved. He said, a new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. James comes back and he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. Now, we also have a distorted picture of love, and we talked about this during our Love Is series back in January, February, right? Because love, just like freedom, is not allowing someone to do whatever they want to do that is destructive because it's, it's lived in the flesh. True love is lived out in both grace and truth. You see, I'm not loving someone if I don't speak truth to them. But I'm also not loving them if I speak truth to them without grace. So these things have to go hand in hand. If you're a parent, you understand that, don't you? I love my child, so I correct my child. I love my child, so I give them guidance and instruction. I give them grace in their failure, but I also speak truth to them because I know that God has a better plan and a purpose for them. There are people all around you and I who need help physically, emotionally, spiritually. And the early Christians responded to that task so well throughout the book of Acts. And and Paul later came back in the book of Romans, kind of drilling home that same point in Romans chapter 15. He says, we who are strong, that, that again, that word is mature, followers of Christ have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. In other words, the faults, the difficulties, the struggles, and not to please ourselves. Verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for his good. I want to step into the lives of others for their good to build them up and point them to Jesus Christ. That involves love. That involves grace and truth. There was a story a number of years ago, I remember, of a young Bible college student, and and finals were upon him. And probably like any student in any subject ever in the history of humankind, he wasn't ready for the test. Anybody with me? Anybody else go through school, just going, you're walking to the room, and you're getting ready to take a test, and you're going, God, please grant me wisdom of things I've never read in my life. (laughs) 
That's him. So here's this young guy, right? He, he's, man, he's got, he's got finals the next day. He's got an early exam. He's not ready. And he's ready to spend all night cramming this information in his head only to regurgitate it on paper the next day in hopes that he gets a passing grade. He gets a phone call. Some family members are in town. They want to take him to dinner. He's like, oh man, any other time, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, I would love to do that. Any other time, it would be great, but I am so far behind, and I've got so much study to do, but he goes. And while they're at dinner together, the, the family's child gets really sick, and they end up at the hospital, and he decides to stay with them. And he stays with them for hours and hours until he knows their child is well and that all is okay with their home. And he's extending love and responding to them. And he's just there. He's, he's experiencing the ministry of presence with this family. Then he finally leaves. And as, as he's leaving, the family said, hey, we know that you needed to study for your exam, and we are just so grateful that you chose to spend time with us. And his response was simply this. He says, well, I decided it was more important to be doing what Jesus said rather than simply studying about it. We love to study. We love to learn. But sometimes you got to step out and you just got to do it. And that with James 1.22, don't simply be hearers of the word, do what it says. And some of us are educated well beyond our level of obedience. We have the knowledge. We've sat through countless Bible studies and we know all this information, but we refuse to step out in responsive obedience out of our freedom in Christ to be responsive to the needs of others, to step into their lives and do the real ministry. The ministry of presence, just being there. The ministry of grace and truth and love, speaking God's truth into people's lives, loving them, encouraging them, moving them toward deeper, more uh, mature spiritual accountability in Christ. And so Christ has set us free so that we may enjoy our freedom by being responsive to others, but secondly, also by being realistic about yourself. Be, be realistic about who you are in Christ. Verse 3 says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, that is his life, his actions. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now, I love the way the New Living Translation puts this. It, it goes like this. He said, if you think you are too important to help someone in need, you are only fooling yourself. You are really a nobody. Be sure to do what you, get this, what you should for then you will enjoy the personal satisfaction of having done your work well, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Wow, that kind of hits us all where we live, right? Sometimes even in the freedom of our Christian life, we're living in such a way that we're comparing ourselves with others instead of responding to others' needs and, and being honest about who we are in Christ. The honest truth is that I am a broken sinner before a holy God who has redeemed me, set me free from the bondage of sin, not to do what I want to do, but do the things I ought to do. And when I simply do that in freedom, I am free in Christ, and therefore I don't have to compare myself, my actions, my deeds to anyone else because I'm simply responding 
to Christ in, in reality of who I am. And so Paul is writing to these group because they're being suppressed by these legalists, throwing all these rules and all this bondage back on them. And what I've discovered in my life and ministry is that the legalist is always harder on other people than they are of themselves. While the Spirit-led Christian is much harder on himself than he is on other people because his desire is to help others. So the more we walk in step with the Spirit, we become harder on ourselves because we have a greater standard. We begin to understand what God expects of me as a man, of me as a woman. And created in His image, how am I supposed to live in a way that honors Him? And so as I grow and I'm walking and I'm being led by the Spirit, I am harder on myself than I am on other people. Legalist, religious people will be harder on others than they are on themselves. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Be, be honest about who you are. Be realistic about yourself. You see, when we come to know Christ, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And in other words, you've got to start all over. I have three grown children, and I tell you, I look back at those early days, that was tough stuff right? I think Tim Keller was the first one I heard. He said, man, in parenting, the days are long, but the years are short. Because there, there are some days it's like, Lord, just let this day end. I love my little sinners, but just let this day end, right? And the next thing I know, they're 30, they're 28, they're 26, they're getting married, and it's like, wow, you know, what, what happened? But, but what, what happens when Jesus told Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. In other words, you're starting from scratch. And when you come to know Christ, no matter what age that is, you are a spiritual infant in Christ. And spiritual infants, just like physical infants, need everything from us. And that's where the church needs to step in and responsive to the needs of others. We begin to step in and we begin to care for the needs of new believers. But, th but then we grow from infancy to childhood, and we move from childhood to young adult, and childhood to young adult into then spiritual maturity and replication. And Paul drilled this into the churches through his epistles over and over, saying, grow up, grow up, grow up. By now you should be feeding others, but you still require the milk of the Word. Paul is saying you should be a mature adult, but you still require uh, care like an infant. You see, there's a point in the spiritual growth process for every believer that we move from the place of being a spiritual infant or a child. I don't know about you, but when my kids were infants and children, uh, they, they were pretty dependent. They were also pretty selfish and self-consuming because everything was about them, right? Oh, it was, wait, was it just my kids? Okay, so we're, we're agreement, right? That's tough stuff. But then there comes a place where you move from childhood to young adult, and you begin to realize, wow, life is not about me. It's about others as well. And spiritually, there's a transition that takes place where we begin to grow in Christ, and we realize it's not about me. It's about God and others. How do I begin to invest my life being free in Christ, part of the king, part of the kingdom? How do I begin to invest my life as a mature believer in the lives of others? We begin to love the things that God loves. What does God love? God loves people. God loves lost people. 
And sometimes in religious life, we step back and we're harder on others than we are on ourselves. And instead of loving lost people, we condemn lost people. Now, that's not to say that the Word of God is not absolutely true. You either come to faith in Jesus Christ or you are doomed for a place called hell. That's not judgment. It's simply saying you either accept Christ or you choose to reject Christ. But I have the choice as a believer to love them or not love them, to step into their life and be responsive to needs, to convey God's love and grace to the very last possible moment, but I can't do it for them. So I begin to love lost people the way God loves lost people. I begin to look at people in my life and in my church family, other believers of Christ who are less mature, little brothers, little sisters in Christ, and I begin to look at their needs and I begin to care for them in a different way to help them grow up to be spiritually mature in Christ. I begin to look at my community and my world differently because I look at people not as a, as a, a difficulty, but as lost people. And how do I convey God's love to them? I want to love them. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. This is hard stuff. But I want to love them because God loves them. I want to walk on my church campus as a mature believer simply saying, hey, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. What can I do for you? How can I help minister to the needs of other people and not walk in and say, hey, I am an immature believer. Therefore, I want people to come and love and care for me. Now, now granted, that's a progress of growth. And people who are new believers, we have to take on that responsibility and love them and care for them. But every one of us has to continue to grow towards spiritual maturity in Christ. Amen? And as we grow, we look for those signs and those indicators that I am indeed growing in Christ. And I begin to love God. I begin to love His church. I begin to love lost people. I begin to love and serve others the way Christ loves and serves me. Paul dove into this a little bit in 2 Corinthians, just I'll throw the text up here, but he says, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. He says, but we will not boast beyond our limits but will boast with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So as we're being realistic about ourselves, we're simply boasting in the Lord. It's not wrong to take pride in our actions, in our life, in our accomplishment, in the things that we do, but humility is being able to recognize the good that you may do and praise God that he made it possible. It's not wrong to do things, but praise God that he made it possible. So as we love and respond to others, we're responsive to them by being realistic about who we are in Christ. But then thirdly, I want you to see that we are uh, to enjoy our freedom by being responsible to God. Simply being responsible to God. Verse 5 of Galatians 6, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, now, when you simply read these five verses, this may seem like a little bit of a contradiction because in verse two, he, he talks about the fact that we are to bear one another's burdens, but then in verse five, he says we have to bear our own load. 
Well, there's two slightly different words that Paul is using here. In, in verse 2, he's talking about this heavy burden, this cumbersome load that is like greater than, than anyone should bear. It's those difficult moments. Oftentimes, it's, it's being trapped up. It's being caught in the flesh. It's, it's doing the things that are dishonoring to God, and it brings about a heavy, heavy, oppressive load. Or it's simply what God is doing in someone's life to, to shape them and mold them, and we have to then come alongside and help bear that burden to carry that load. The, one, the, ver, the word that he uses in verse 5 it sort of suggests carrying your own load, much like a soldier's pack, right? So, in other words, each soldier must bear his own pack. There's certain things that you have personal responsibility for that no one can accept for you. You and I each have responsibility for our lives that no one can accept, and we have to bear that burden. We have to throw on our pack, and we have to bear our load, so there's two different perspectives that Paul is bringing to the table here. One is how we're responsive in love and care for others. The other is to live responsibly to God for our own actions. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, very familiar to many of you. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's ordained the steps of your life. You have to walk in obedience and carry that load because no one can carry that load for you. 2 Corinthians 5 Again, Paul is saying, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You and I will stand accountable to God for the things that we've done in this life. We can stand forgiven and yet still stand accountable for the things that we've done, especially as we've surrender our heart and life to Christ. God is going to say, what have you done? How did you steward what I entrusted to you? I mapped out a plan for you, Dave. How did you steward the actions of your life? Because I will stand accountable and be responsible to God. Now, this is tough stuff. It really is. There, there was a story that came out several years ago, and as I started doing some digging, I could not find it again. But I remember the story, and it, it involved the London Transit Authority. So Pastor Scott may have to help us out and confirm this. But the, the people were disgruntled because the bus drivers on the bus routes were driving past the passengers waiting to get picked up. So the bus is running its route, but it's driving past the people that are waiting to get picked up. And so after people were, they were bashing and they were frustrated and all these complaints coming in. And finally, the London Transit Authority released a statement that went like this. It said, look, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we always have to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> schedules, plans are great, but sometimes they disrupt life and ministry, don't they? Sometimes it becomes difficult, but ultimately we stand accountable and responsible to God for our life and in our actions. So how are we responsive to the needs of others? How are we realistic about ourselves? And how are we living responsible to God? Because we can't escape our responsibility. 
Adam tried to blame Eve, Eve tried to blame the serpent, and yet God held them accountable. We can find a lot of things and a lot of places and a lot of other uh, excuses for not living the life, but Paul is saying, keep in step with the Spirit. Do the things you know you ought to do as you live in freedom. Paul is telling the church in, in Rome, in Romans chapter 4, he simply says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And part of that will be how responsive were you to the needs of others? How realistic were you about who you are? Each soldier has to carry his own pack. You're responsible for your pack. You're responsible for your life to live in obedience to Christ. So how do you know? How do you know if, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit? I, I love that phrase. I want you to think about it this week, to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading. The Spirit guides. The Spirit directs. How am I keeping in step with the Spirit? To be responsive to the needs of others, to be realistic about myself, to be responsible to God. How, how do I know I'm keeping in step? Well, there's lots of truth through Scripture. All you have to do is pick up God's Word and begin to read, and you're going to see all kinds of things about obedience and about repentance and about surrender and about walking a life uh, worthy of your calling, and, and there's lots of great stuff here. But even in the context of Paul's letter right here, he gives us a small snapshot of what it looks like to, to keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22 very familiar to probably every one of us in the room, everyone watching online, Paul says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, they were being oppressed by the law. They were falling back into the bondage of slavery, the yoke of slavery and bondage to the law. And Paul says, you are free. Under God's grace, you are free not to do the things you want to do, but to do the things you know you ought to do as you keep in step with the Spirit. So let me ask you, when you think about response to others, is it out of love and kindness and grace? Do you approach others with meekness, with faithfulness, with gentleness, with self-control? When you think about your own life, do you think about kindness? Do you think about self-control? Do you think about faithfulness? When you think about your responsibility to God that you will stand accountable to Him, are you living a life that's full of love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness? It is great to be free, but our freedom is found in Jesus Christ, not to do the things we want, but to do the things we ought to do. Let's pray together this morning. Father, in this place, God, I have to confess my brokenness. And I am so thankful for your love and your grace. God, I'm thankful for the truth of your word. Lord, if, if I didn't understand the truth of your word, I wouldn't understand the grace of your word. If I didn't understand the truth, I wouldn't understand your love the way that I do. God, to realize that I'm a sinner, I am broken before you, and yet 
Father, you demonstrated your love for me even while I was still a sinner, Christ died. God, that you called me to be your child, that you extended your grace through your kindness and through your love. Lord, you've called me into your family to be responsive to others, to be realistic about myself and to be responsible to you. So Lord, for everyone that's in this place, for everyone that's watching online, I just ask you to do a simple self-evaluation this morning. Where do you stand in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to know him? Have you been set free from the bondage of sin? It doesn't, doesn't mean life isn't difficult. It doesn't mean hard stuff doesn't come up. It simply means, means we're set free from the bondage of sin. Paul said, don't, be a, a, don't put that yoke of slavery back on you. Live free. Be responsive to others. Be realistic about who you are. Be responsible to God. And maybe for some this morning, you need to come to know Christ personally. Simply to confess, God, I know that I'm a sinner and the best way I know how I give you complete control of my life. If you're watching online, we've got a number up there. You can simply text Jesus to that number. We'd love to interact with you. If you're in the room, we'd love to talk with you. Don't leave the campus this morning without talking with someone. I'll be down front over here. I'd love to just talk with you and help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Maybe there's people in your life that God is saying you need to be responsive to the needs of these people. As a mature follower of Jesus, maybe you need to step into the lives of others and help them grow towards spiritual maturity in Christ. Guys, whatever God is calling us to do this weekend, this holiday weekend, let's live free in Christ to do the things we know we ought to do. In Jesus' name, amen.